Well, it's great to be back this evening and hope you all got a little bit of refreshment after soul winning. Got yourself a tea or a coffee. It seems to be a big thing here. So I just want to say thank you for everybody for every for just treating us. Uh, you're treating us like, you know, you, you love us and, and we appreciate that. And we can definitely uh, we definitely feel that love. So I really appreciate this church. I think that, you know, it's a, it's a great church. And uh, I'm glad that we started it. So you guys are doing a great job here. Just wanted to let you know that. And I see the zeal within our church. I see the zeal of the young people. And, and it's great to have a bunch of little children around and making noise and keeping me up when I was trying to take a nap. It was really great. But uh, no, it's a great church. And I, I really do. I, your, your passion for souls is what really shines through to me. And the fact that you guys love the Word of God. And uh, just really appreciate you. And just want to say that. And I just want to thanks uh, Brother Ian, uh, say thanks to Brother Ian and Miss Lisa and uh, everybody for the wonderful hospitality. So I'm going to attempt to finish both sermons in one sermon here. I, I only got to my first point in the first sermon, but the introduction was quite long, so I'm not going to go into a long introduction. Most of the people were here and heard the first sermon. So basically, the title of the sermon is How to Make England King James Again, How to Make England King James again, and the first point that I really uh, uh, that I really made was, <clears throat> besides giving a long introduction, was uh, that we need to get rid of the witches and the witchcraft, just like King James did. And I talked about how King James, you know, wrote a book called Demonology, where he kind of sets forth, you know, the doctrine of witches and witchcraft, and and how they deceive, and 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 how wicked and evil they are, and that he you know, just like the Bible says, was putting them to death when they, he found them. And, and I, I want to make sure that he, to, to, to say this again, that he stressed and was adamant about the fact that, you know, nobody should be put to death unless they've been given a fair trial. And that, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, and, and even after King James was dead and gone, there was like a big witchcraft craze where people were just like, you know, anybody could rise up and be a witness, and they were just coming up with some really, some really odd things to prove that people were witches and allowing children to get up and, and, and uh, be witnesses against. And, you know, kids can be witnesses, I mean, obviously, but, like, it kind of got a little, it got a little weird. But what he was trying to bring forth was right and true because the Bible teaches that thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And so under a, a fair trial, they were put to death. And, you know, maybe some of them weren't fair trials, but like you can't be everywhere at once. But I, I think that the general idea is that he wanted to make sure that England didn't have this, this uh, group of witches and, and wizards and all these people that were trying to uh, bring forth the devil's work while he was trying to make sure that God's work was being brought forth. And as a good king, you're going to punish evildoers, like the Bible says, and you're going to give praise to those that are doing well, right? So number two is we need to get back to the doctrine of the divine right of kings. Now, obviously I know that that might not happen in our lifetime, but it doesn't mean that that's not the right doctrine. So the doctrine of a king being supreme in their land is a biblical doctrine. I kind of laid that out a little bit, but I wanted to, you know, I, I mentioned some books that he wrote and he wrote in 1597 is when he wrote Demonology. And in 1598, he wrote a book called The True Law of Free Monarchies. 
and so basically he sets forth this doctrine of the divine right of kings in which you know, Daniel chapter 2 makes it very clear that God is the one that sets up kings and he's the one that deposes them also. And so that is uh, what the Bible teaches. So you're here in 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse number 13. It says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as what? As supreme, right? So who's the supreme ruler in a land? Who's it supposed to be? It's supposed to be the king of the land. And obviously in Daniel chapter 2, that dream was given to Nebuchadnezzar, who was a Gentile king. He wasn't exactly a godly king, but you know, God used him to do the things that he wanted to do, which was to punish his own people because they had gotten so far gone that he ended up having to destroy the temple and wiping Jerusalem like you would wipe a plate. So anyway, it says in verse 14, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him. So a king rules with governors is what it's teaching here. For the punish, what does it say? For the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. So what is the Bible teaching here? I mean, people can just be like America, America, and wave their flags and, you know, the president's better than the king. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't talk about presidents. It does talk about rulers and judges and things like that. And I think that we should honor leadership uh, to the point that they should be honored. But, you know, obviously there's a lot, a lot of wicked governments out there today. And God is not for tyranny. God is not for people that just want to, you know, obviously those people are in positions of power, but he's allowing them to be in those positions of power because sometimes that's what we deserve. Sometimes that's what the people deserve. So, and uh, like I said in my first sermon, that you know America deserves Joe Biden. I mean, a guy that fumbles around, he can't, he can't, you know, bring two coherent thoughts together in the same uh, two two sentences. He's just, he's just really far gone. I was showing Brother Ian some of the videos where he's just talking about how Corn Pop was a bad dude, and he, you know, he played with the, his leg hairs and talking about switchblades and razor knives and. You know, just all kinds of weird stuff. I mean, you guys have probably seen it. It's just a, you know, it's a, it's just one of those things. It's a, it's a, it's a laughing stock of the world, is what it is. And sometimes God allows that to happen. America's being humbled, and hopefully, hopefully they can actually get humble and get right with God. But anyway, it says, this, for this is the will of God, that with well doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. It says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so the divine right of kings, the doctrine is, is that basically, and this is what King James believed, is that God is the one that sets up thrones and dominions. God is the one that sets up kings and rulers. And that's what the Bible says, doesn't it? I mean, I've, I've showed you some verses uh, earlier today and right here where it's just basically saying that the king is supreme. Now, obviously, there's one king that's supreme over everything else, and that's God, right? So here's the, the, the just for, for dummies, here's the, uh, and I'm not calling any dummies, this is for me. But anyway, it says the divine right of kings or divine right theory of kingship is a political and religious doctrine of royal and political legitimacy. It asserts that a monarch is subject to no earthly authority deriving this right to rule directly from the will of God. So that is 
what it means, the divine right of a king to rule as the authority. So, and what does the Bible show forth in, uh, in, in the religious realm? Well, the pastor rules over the church. It's not a plurality of elders. It's not the, uh, you know, it's not a bunch of uh, people voting on what happens. And, and people just, you know, we were talking about democracy earlier, how the Greeks, like, are really just proud of the fact that they came up with democracy or whatever. It's like, you know, it doesn't matter who came up with it. It's not as good as God's plan. See, a king that's ruling right and ruling according to God's will and God's law is going to proclaim the things of God anyway, and he's going to set up his government right. But what's, what's God saying? That he wants the king to be that ultimate authority. And, you know, people in America will probably lynch me for saying this stuff, but I believe this stuff for a long time, and I, 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 I think that what they did was wrong when they overthrew the king of England. You know, obviously it is what it is. It's where we're at is where we're at. But there was a time when England was actually ruled by their kings, and now it's just kind of like a figurehead, you know, Charles being named the king. I mean, does he really, how much authority does he really have? Is he really going to have a lot of, could he just, if he just decided to just go King James, you know, start going after witches and, and, and throwing all the, the Jews and Muslims out of the country or whatever, what, what, you know, what would people do? They'd freak out. Parliament would stop him. The prime minister would stop him. And it just wouldn't work. But so because that just means that England isn't allowing the king to rule like the king is supposed to rule. So that's what's wrong with the style of government that England has right now. That's what's wrong with America's style of government. You know, we have all these checks and balances and, and things like that, but it's all just becomes a mockery at some point. It all becomes just, you know, one side pandering to their people and one side pandering to the other. You know, in, in America, it's like we get this left-right paradigm where it's just like it's either Republican or Dem Democrat, Coke or Pepsi, you know, Calvinist, Armenian. I mean, people just want to put us in boxes of choices. But what about the Bible? What about what the Bible actually says? Let's, let's, we need to get back to what the Bible says. Maybe this world would be a better place, you know. Um, so in the Divine Right of Kings, you know, he wrote this little booklet called the true law of free monarchies where he sets forth this doctrine. And I, from a little, uh, little uh, Wikipedia article, it says James uh, VI had this work published in 1598 in Edinburgh in the form of a small Octavio pa pamphlet. It is considered remarkable for setting out the doctrine of the divine right of kings in Scotland for the first time, another Octavio I'm not know if I'm saying that right, but uh, edition was published in London in 1603, the same year that James, of James' coronation as the King of England. So basically, you know, people were leaking out his his books. Like this one, I don't think he cared about being leaked out. But there was another book that he wrote that I'm going to talk about again, which was this book here, the uh, this one right here, the the Silicon Doran, the King's Gift, and basically that was this is a letter to his son that was never supposed to be made public, but someone took those, some of those documents and spread them out, and they were like taking things out of it and adding things to it. So he just published it as the King of England later on, and so everybody could see what he believed. And he, he kind of takes, I was reading it uh, in between the break, and he's taking the Puritans to task, talking about how, you know, they're all stern and, and serious about everything, and uh, he, he's just kind of making fun of them a little bit in there. I thought it was kind of funny. 
But I would highly recommend if you just are interested in this topic at all, this is a good book. It only was like, was like eight bucks or something. And then this book here was the demonology book that he wrote. And you can get those on Amazon for pretty cheap or just, you know, whatever website. But that's kind of where I'm, you know, getting my source material here. It's, sometimes it's good to go to the source as opposed to what all the people's opinions are about things and just let them speak for, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, right? So the things that he puts forth in here, are what he was writing was what he really felt was true instead of people analyzing everything he was saying and, and telling a bunch of lies about him. So anyway, um, so when it comes to the king of kings, the ultimate king, obviously King James believed that God was the king of kings and Lord of lords. Let's turn over to Psalm chapter 2, verse number 1. And God realizes that there's going to be kings of this earth that are not going to be for him. There's going to be kings of this earth that the devil wants to use for his own means and for his own things. And obviously that's what we see going on in the world today, this global government and, uh, you know, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a rare thing to even have a king in a nation anymore. And the kings of those nations don't really have a lot of power. And then you'll see the United States go in and take over their country or something, steal all their gold, take all their, their oil or whatever. And then, uh, they, they, you know, they, they want everybody to have a one world currency. So if somebody has their own standard of money, that's ultimately going to be taken over and then this one world currency is going to appear. But anyway, Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 uh, lays out kind of what God thinks about how kings should act. It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. So God's king, the Lord Jesus Christ, is going to possess the earth. He's going to possess the heathen. So all these kings that are trying to set themselves against him and trying to take counsel against the Lord together and against his anointed. Well, who's the anointed? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's all these kings out there throughout the, the ages and, and even now today that are against what God's plan is. And so they're trying to suppress the people of God. They're trying to suppress churches like our church. And, you know, obviously you guys haven't had the brunt of that yet, but it's coming. So just prepare yourself for that day of battle because the day is going to come when they might, you know, come and, and, you know, huff and puff against this church and try to blow it down. <laughs> But, you know, we need some people that are strong in the Lord and the power of his might versus worrying about our own flesh, what our own flesh can do and what our own power can do. Look at verse number nine. It says, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. 
So what's he saying? He's saying, hey, if you're going to be a king in this earth, let me just give you some instructions, and you judges of the earth. You need to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. But how many kings do you, and, and presidents and whatever do you see actually doing this? It's a rare breed, just like England having King James as their king was a rare breed here too. Like how many kings after him have been godly? Probably not very many. I mean, I don't know of any. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I just am ignorant and don't know that there was some great Christian king after King James, but I don't think there was. And before him, I mean, obviously you got, you know, a couple thousand years of history before that. I mean, maybe some of that stuff's been lost in the annals of time, but like, you know, whose name still lives on? It's King James. Henry VIII's name still lives on too, but is it for good things or for bad things? It was for bad things, wasn't it? I mean, he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, <laughs> you know, so, but one thing he did do is he allowed the, the English translation of the Bible because when William Tyndale prayed that prayer that, you know, Lord opened the King of England's eyes, you know, God answered that prayer as, uh, you know, his martyr was being uh, burned at the stake alive. So, um, King Henry VIII did allow a translation to go forth, and then there took a, it took a succession of Bibles to get to that perfect Bible, that perfect translation. So, God says in verse 11 here, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him. And of course, that blessing would go to anybody who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what's, what's the, the context of this chapter in the book of Psalms? What is, it, what is the context of the song? It's talking about kings, isn't it? It's talking about kings of the earth who would want to uh, go against what God has planned for them. But, you know, if you wanted to be a good king, you know, all you have to do is believe in, in Christ and he's going to bless you, right? So let's look at some other verses about kings here. And actually... Um, I might just read some of them if you want to try to speed through them. I'll start in Psalm chapter uh, 10, verse 16. Psalm chapter 10, verse 16. And if you can quickly turn with me, um, I'm not going to wait for very long. I'm just going to buzz through these because I've got a lot of stuff to get through here tonight. <clears throat> so Psalm chapter 10, verse 16 says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of the land. So God is the king and it says in uh, Psalm chapter 47, verse 2, For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. Psalm chapter 95, verse 3. Psalm chapter 95, verse 3, the Bible says, For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 28 says, in the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the want of the people is the destruction of the prince. So God is the highest God above all kings of the earth, above all uh, principalities and powers. And in the multitude of the people is the king's honor. So when you're talking about uh, um, how the king is paid and how the king uh, brings forth his 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 uh, paycheck basically is from the multitude of people, but it says, but in the want of the people is the destruction of the prince. So a lot of times people will turn against a king for not being able to provide, you know, and sometimes kings will get greedy and they'll just start taking all the money for themselves. And then the people turn on that person and overthrow them. Proverbs chapter 
14, verse 35, you're already in verse four, chapter 14, it says, The king's favor is toward a wise servant, but his wrath is against him that causeth shame. Proverbs 16, verse 10 says, A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgress, transgresseth not in judgment. So, there's a lot of things to be said about kings. There's 1,900 verses where the Bible mentions king, a king or kings. Proverbs 19, verse 12 says, The king's wrath is as a roaring lion, but his favor is as the dew of a gra uh, of, uh, upon the grass. Excuse me. Proverbs 20, verse 8 says, A king that sitteth in the throne of judgment scattereth away all evil from his eyes. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You know, a lot of people say, well, there's just no way that a king can rise up and be good again. But you know what? In the, in the past, there have been kings that have risen up. You know, and I, I think, you know, when the Bible says we're supposed to pray for our rulers and things like that, I think that we do, we should pray for people to get put into uh, whatever leadership uh, positions there are that are godly people. You know, we, I think that sometimes we just think that all is lost. There's no way that anybody's ever going to be in anything that can be remotely considered Christian. But, you know, with God, all things are possible. And sometimes we forget that it's, it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye, uh, or, or excuse me, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? So, you know, that, that, you know Jesus is saying that's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So is it possible to have good leadership or maybe something that would be considered something somewhat good? It's possible. You know what? Because the Bible says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. In the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. And you know what? When we pray to God, then God is entreated of us. When his saints pray unto him, he is entreated of us. And you know, maybe he'll just turn that king's heart to the way that we're asking for. And maybe then he'll say, well, maybe they do deserve somebody that's a little bit better than what they got. But you know what? We never stop to think that as Christians that we actually should be praying. We're just like, well, it's gloom and doom. The new world order is coming. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And that's true. But you know what? God can still put a good king in the middle of something. He can still put a good ruler or judge in the middle of something to make things easier for the people of God to get through this life. And obviously our life is, is going to be a hard, a hard road to hoe sometimes. It's going to be sorrowful in some ways. And obviously, you know, I mean, just, just I, was in, I was at Steadfast a few weeks ago and I was preaching and you know, there are a lot, these, these sodomites are just surrounding their building all the time. Has it gotten a little bit easier? Has it, is, are they still there? Yeah, they're still there. See, Pastor Shelley's been dealing with these people for two years, and the powers that be that are there in the city that they're at are allowing their police officers to just turn a blind eye to them breaking the law and, and things like that. And I, you know, I walked up to the police officer that was parked in the parking lot when I was preaching. I walked out after the service and I'd heard that they're allowing the protesters to hold their signs in front of people's cars. When you pull out of their parking lot, there's a 55 mile an hour zone right there. And what they do is they try to block people's vision so they'll get killed by oncoming traffic when they pull out. Just, you know, and, and they're yelling all kinds of filthy things at people and their children. I mean, screaming at the top of their lungs. They're allowing women to not have clothes on and just, 
you know, just scream all kinds of obscenities and not do, I mean, obviously they've let them back, they backed them up a little bit, the police, but for a while things were getting pretty crazy there. But even when I was there, when there was only like a, a, just a small amount of people, I walked up, talked to that cop. He said, that's the first time I've ever seen them do that. He said, I just saw one of them do it. I'm, I'm calling my supervisor to see if he'll do something about it. And it's just like, well, why can't you just do something about it now? Do you have to call your supervisor and ask them for permission to do your job? I mean, what in the world is wrong with these people? You know, you're, 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 you have an oath to uphold the Constitution to protect people. And then you're like, I got to call my supervisor to make sure it's okay for me to stop someone from getting killed driving outside of the parking lot. I mean, it's just wicked. But I mean... You, you would think in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, that that would never happen, but it is happening. And it's happening against Christians. And, you know, when I walked to my truck to get in to drive away, I had my son in the, in the car with me. And while we're driving out, that cop is sitting right there. I just got done talking to him. This guy comes up to my window, tries to fight me, and then puts his sign in front of my, you know, he, he just like, you know, he, I'm not going to get out and fight him. I was just like laughing, like whatever, dude. You don't want me to get out of the truck. But anyway, <laughs> he puts his sign in front of my window and tries to, he's tr trying to do the same thing. And I just kind of just sat there. It's just like, you know, why don't you do your job, Mr. Police Officer, the one, you know, that's paid to protect people? And then he finally took it down, some other crazy lady spitting on my window. You know, and then I finally just pull out of there. But my point is, is that, you know, we're not treated fairly in this world. Other people would be able, you know, and then not too long after that, uh, one of the church members, Ben, he drives and, and he has to fake like he's going out of that driveway and then go to the other exit that's off of a side road really fast because they all follow him over there to try to get him killed with his wife and his kids. But he, he goes like a little bit fast to the parking lot. Not, probably not crazy fast. And what does the cop do? He pulls him over and asks him for his license. Because they complained that, you know, he wanted to go through a different exit. You know, we were really trying to get him killed. Would you please pull him over? It's just like, and then the cop does it. So that's the kind of justice that we get. But you know what? The, the you know, God is going to, in, in, you know, he's going to intervene in our favor but, you know, sometimes we just forget to entreat him, I think. And when it comes to, you know, oppression from the government, oppression from our workplace, oppression from, you know, people that are in charge and these, uh, uh, these people like police officers and, and, and presidents and just judges and all these different things, you know, the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord and the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. You know, and sometimes we're going to have to just go through things like this, but... You know, it's good to pray to God for our leaders that maybe at least they'll just be just and make the right decision. I mean, who thought that Roe versus Wade was going to get overturned? It's probably, well, do you guys have, you guys have something similar here that's like a, a groundbreaking law? Do you have abortion laws here? You do. Can people get abortions in England? Did they overturn it? No. I mean, they overturned it in, you know, in kind of, you know, all the liberals are screaming and freaking out. And like, we want, we want the right to murder our own children. It's just like really weird. You know, they're frothing at the mouth. They're, they're doing twerk dances at Washington, D.C. Like, what is that going to do? 
Like you're twerking in front of children. I mean, to be able to have abortions, it's like, ah, it's this guy there. It's just disgusting. But anyway, let me move on. Verse 21 says, my son, fear thou the Lord. Or excuse me, yeah, chapter 24, verse 21 says, my son, fear thou the Lord and the king. And meddle not with them that are given to change. Like people like Oliver Cromwell, you know, who was given to change and change the way this country was allowed to be ruled by kings, this Puritan Calvinist. And someone was telling me that he let the Jews back in. So that's, you know, there's strike two and three right there. But um, it says that he turned, you know, that he, we're not supposed to meddle with people that are given to change. And these, all these revolutions started to happen. But like, think about where it first took place. It took place here, but they don't call it a revolution. What do they call it? The English Civil Wars. That's what they called it. To where you got people fighting against each other, the king on one side, and you know Oliver Cromwell who became the Lord Protector, and then basically changed everything over to what, what you have now. Obviously, it took some time to get to where it is now, but um, you know he didn't do this country any favors. He's a bad guy. But, uh, and this is one generation removed from King James. So uh, turn to Proverbs chapter 25, verse number 6. Proverbs 25, verse number 6. It says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. So, and obviously God puts forth the, the people that are, you know, the king. We're not supposed to just be nonchalant and just acting like, uh, you know, we have some right or audience to that person, you know, there's a way to petition rulers and government and we should follow those things. Proverbs chapter 29 verse, uh, verse 4 says, The king by judgment establisheth the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthrow it. And that, that is true. And most people are taking bribes and gifts in our country. It's a big thing where people can, you know, just they can uh, pander to Congress. And, you know, these guys don't uh, sign up to get 200k a year for the rest of their uh, lives. They, they, they sign up because they're, all of those people when they retire are millionaires because they just allow them to bribe them, you know, and they, they've allowed them to play the stock market and do insider trading for all these years. It's like, we don't get that privilege, they, but they get to know what's going on next so they can just buy the stocks that they want and get rich that way. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.13, it says, Better is poor and wise, a poor and wise child than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. And y'all are gonna, about to get a 73-year-old man as your king. I think he already is the king, King Charles III, right? And hopefully he's not so old and foolish that he'll, he won't be admonished. But it, does, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good, does it? It looks bad, right? Like, he, he's like this ecumenical guy that's talking about being defender of the faiths and all this other stuff. And it, it's looking bleak. But you know what? That doesn't mean you still can't pray to the Lord and ask God's mercy on this country. You know, with a church like this, you know, God is going to have your favor as long as you're doing what's right and true. So um, let's... Uh, Skip down to, uh, let's move over to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20. The Bible says, Curse not the king, know not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. 
So the Bible's talking about here not cursing the king. So we ought to be careful the way we talk about people. And, you know, a lot of people are like, are you going to talk about how the queen's roasting in hell and all this stuff? I just don't really know enough about her to say those things. And I just don't think it would be necessarily dignified to do that. Um, obviously, I, people have a lot of strong feelings about that. But I just, I don't want to preach about something I don't know. I don't really know her. I don't know much about her. I mean, obviously, a lot of people think that she was really evil and things like that. I, I tend to agree with I agree with you, but like, I'm not going to just jump out and say a bunch of stuff that I don't know for sure. You know what I mean? I think that we should be careful how we talk about people. And obviously she wasn't the king, so she was the queen. I could say, well, she probably should have been ruling, you know, but how much was she really ruling? You know, people, uh, we know that she's a figurehead basically and not really making a whole lot of decisions. So now, um, Let's move over to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter number 5. Now, I believe that we should obey the government. I believe that we should follow the rules and laws. And, you know, people in general don't look at Christians like people that are just anarchists, seditionists. We're always just trying to overthrow things. And that kind of attitude can creep into church. It can creep into our lives. And, you know, we get tired of seeing all this evil, all these evil people ruling and things like that. And I get it. I understand. And maybe I've been over the top before where I shouldn't have been. But, um, you know, we must submit to authority. We must submit to the government. That's what the Bible teaches. You know, we can kind of skirt around it all we want. Now, where do we disobey? We disobey when it comes to them making rules and laws that are against God's laws. That's where we have to civilly disobey. So if they say, you, can't, you guys can't go sowing anymore, period, end of story, you're done. Sure Foundation Baptist UK, you're finished. No more sowing. We're making a law. Are you guys going to obey, obey that law or are you going to continue to go sowing? You're going you're to continue to go sowing. That's what you're supposed to do. But if they say, well, the speed limit's 40 through here, it used to be 55, are you going to obey that rule? And, you know, you probably should obey that rule. You know, do I think it's like some wicked sin if you don't? I don't think it's some wicked sin, but like, um, you know, what about just like paying your taxes or just there's certain things. And obviously they, they rake us over the coals with taxes too. But Jesus said, lest we should offend them, you know, to pay those things and just and render their dues and all these different things. We should be people that, uh, you know, unsaved people and maybe politicians look at as model citizens for the most part, right? We shouldn't be known as these, you know, let's just burn the, the kingdom down and let's just overthrow these nations. That's why I didn't understand why Crom how Cromwell could get to the point where he was saying, let's kill the king. Let's put him on trial and chop his head off in front of everybody because that's what they did. How could he get to that point being a Christian Puritan that's so serious about keeping all God's laws? I guess he must have missed the countless verses in the Bible talking about how you're supposed to honor the king and hold him as supreme and, you know, not curse him and things of this matter. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in is because people just won't follow the Bible. And, you know, when, 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 biblical, when people had a chance to have an influence in this country for the good, they used it to, to take power where they didn't, where it didn't belong to them. So we should submit to earthly kings or our rulers 
when it comes to things that are, are not, they're not asking us to break God's law, okay? I believe that there's three spheres of government, you know, basically that God instituted. He instituted the church, he instituted the family, and he instituted local government, right? He instituted human government, the church, and the family. And those three things are supposed to live in like a symbiotic relationship to a certain extent, but those powers are also separated. If the government tells you men to wear pink pajamas at night at home, you don't have to follow that rule because you know what? That's your house. It doesn't matter. It's none of their business what you're doing in your house when it comes to what kind of color of pajamas you're wearing. Am I right? And especially you look like a queer, right? You don't want to look like a queer. So you don't want, you know, pink pajamas, no, you know. But my point is, is that they don't have that right because you know what? The man is the leader of his own home. So he should be able to wear manly clothes and have his children wear the clothes that they're supposed to be wearing and institute the rules, teach his children what he wants to teach him, have them be what, uh, you know, a godly uh, Christian if he wants to, and the government should not be infringing upon those things. But at the same time, the king also shouldn't be the ruler over the religious institutions either because there should be sort of a separation of powers. Let me give you a for instance. Well, you know, Saul, the first king of Israel, what did he get denounced for? Why did God overthrow his kingdom? Because he thought it was his job to sacrifice when Samuel wasn't there. Remember, Samuel was late, and, you know, sometimes, you know, prophets are late, apparently. So I know that there's some, prof there's some, some, uh, some prophets in here that are probably late from time to time. You know, that happens. But it wasn't Saul's job to sacrifice the sacrifices, was it? So he broke God's commandments and God rend him from being king, didn't he? Because what? He disobeyed and he was, he was infringing on territories that were not his territories to infringe upon. It was not his job to make the sacrifices. Uzziah the king... He came and tried to burn incense in the temple, and what happened? Well, all the Levites came against him and said, get out of here, what do you think you're doing? And then God punished that man, and he was a leper until his death. You know, but otherwise, he was a good king. See, people that are human beings are going to make mistakes, and a lot, all, these, all the kings made a lot of mistakes. Even David, who I would say is probably the, the, the greatest king in all of Israel, the, the second king after Saul, I think he was a great king. But he made a lot of mistakes, didn't he? And God punished him for it. And you know, sometimes God will depose kings and he'll uh, set kings up. But these, uh, these kings in, in the Bible, they would make some really grave mistakes. What about Jeroboam? Jeroboam just said, you know what? We're not going to go to Jerusalem anymore. We're not going to do it right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, here's thy gods, O Israel. And he makes two calves like Aaron did uh, in, the old, in, in the book of Exodus. So, you know, it, w there's, no, there's no blurring of the lines. There shouldn't be any blurring of the lines. It's not the religious you know, person's job. It's not my job to tell the king what to do. So, but wasn't the king anointed by God also? The king was anointed by God because that was an institution that God ordained. Now, the children of Israel were supposed to follow the Lord as the king, and everybody else was supposed to be judges underneath him. They were the little gods, right? So, but they broke that. They said, we, give us 
let us be, you know, have kings like all the other nations do. And so from that point forward, God allowed the nation of Israel and, uh, to have kings, to have uh, kings over them, even though it was rebellion to the Lord. So anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of how, how the Bible paints that picture. So these jobs should not overshadow the other ones. We should honor and submit to government where we can where we can and, and where we should. But when it comes to them telling us whether we should be able to homeschool our children or read the Bible or pray with our children or things like that, they have no right to infringe on that part of our, of our lives. And then that's when we should you know, conscientiously object to their laws. Acts 5.28, I had to turn to Acts 5. It says, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom he slew and hanged on a tree. So here's an instance where you have you know, the, the powers that be, and actually these were religious powers, trying to tell the apostles whether they could go soul winning or not, or whether they should preach in the name of Jesus. What they say, we ought to obey God rather than men. So we should pray for our rulers that they either be godly or get godly or get replaced. That's what we should do, but it's really not our job to overthrow the government. God does not, I mean, there's multiple verses in the Bible about that. We should not be like that. And Romans chapter 13 also spells out what Peter uh, said, but I, I got to move on here and finish what I started here. All right, so um, let's look back at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, where we read tonight, where the Bible reading was. So in order to make, uh, how to make England King James again, number one, we, we got to get rid of the witches and the witchcraft like King James did. Number two, we got to get back to the doctrine of divine, the divine right of kings. And, you know, and, and obviously it's our responsibility as Christians to obey the government as long as they're not telling us to sin. Okay. Now, number three, we need to be able to pass down a godly heritage to our children. And you know, when King James wrote the Basilican Doran, which is uh, the book that I've been showing you here, he broke the book down into three different... Uh, three different like chapters basically, and the first one is a king's duty towards God. So he he breaks down this this letter to his son about a king's duty towards God. What are they supposed to do in the eyes of God as a king? And book number book number two is a king's duty in his office. What is the king supposed to act like himself, and what are the the laws that he should enforce and things like that? And then book three was a king's behavior. And in different things. So, and uh, I'm just going to read a few excerpts from the book here, uh, from page five in the book here. It says, let's see. So, go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 127, verse 3. Psalm 127, verse number 
Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, the Bible teaches that children are the heritage of the Lord. And basically, our children are borrowed to us by the Lord. They're a blessing from God. We should not look at them as anything different than a blessing from God. God gave you those children to raise and to influence for Him. And so they could live for Him also in that next generation, right? And so King James understood this. And in his dedication to this book, he said, Lo, hear my son a mirror vive. And that's like an old Scottish word that means lively. And fair, which showeth the shadow of a worthy king. Lo, hear a book, a pattern doth you bring, which you should prease, which means attempt, <laughs> doth you bring. This is old Scottish, okay? Which you, should, which you should prease to follow more and more. Prease means to attempt, okay? This trusty friend, the truth will never spare, but give a good advice unto you here, how it should be your chief and princely care to follow virtue, vice for to forbear. And this book, your lesson will you learn for guiding of your people, great and small. Then, as you ought, give an attentive ear and pans, which means consider or meditate on, how you these precepts practice shall. You father, your, you father bids you study here and read how to become a perfect king indeed. So his dedication to the book, he's, he, he wants his son who's going to follow in his footsteps to be a godly king. And, you know, the way that this was written is kind of an old style of writing, but he, it says the argument of the book. Like, basically, what's the point of this book? And it says, God gives not kings the style of gods in vain, for on his throne his scepter do they sway. And as their subjects ought them to obey, so kings should fear and serve their God again. If then you would enjoy a happy reign, observe the statutes of your heavenly king, and from his law make all your laws to spring, since his lieutenant here you should remain. Reward the just, be steadfast, true, and plain. Repress the proud, maintaining eye the right. Walk always so as ever in his sight. Who guards the godly, plaguing the profane. And so you shall in princely virtue shine, resembling right your mighty king divine. So he's basically saying you should be like, you know, God and, your, and, and honor him and, and, and obviously malign those that are, that are wicked and be steadfast, true, and plain. And that's the argument for the book. And, the, and it begins like this. It says, to Henry, my dearest son and natural successor. So the book was written to his son Henry who died of typhoid when he was just a young man. I think he was 21 or 22 years old. And, you know, that's why Charles became the king afterwards. And Charles, of course, had long hair and he was kind of, you know, it wasn't exactly what Henry was. We'll just put it that way. Um, but unfortunately, he died and, you know, wasn't able to reign like he was supposed to. But, um, you know, he, he says a few things in here that I thought were really interesting. Of course, I don't have time to read the whole book, but it says, uh, he, he kind of breaks down what the book's you know, how the order is going to go. It says the first teaches you your duty towards God as a Christian, the next your duty in the office as a king, and the third teaches you how to behave yourself in indifferent things which of themselves are 
neither wrong, right nor wrong, but according as they are rightly or wrongly used, and yet will serve. So it's basically according to his behavior, how he acts and how he, he, he uh, uh, shows himself forth as a king. So he's basically saying, you know, live your life in a right way. And he's also saying that your duty to God as a Christian comes first before your kingship. And then, of course, your duty as the king. So his duty as the king, he basically tells him, you know, through the whole book to basically, you know, punish evildoers and, and, and treat uh, the people that do well, well, and not to make these over crazy, um, you know, laws that are going to make people poor in their land. He wants people to be able to live by the laws. And even if they break laws that are not so bad, that it doesn't like destroy their life. He really had a good outlook on how to be a king. And uh, I, I think it was great. But, uh, you know, the thing that I think is great out of uh, the greatest thing out of the whole thing is that it was never meant for our consumption. It was never meant to be passed on, but because, um, because people were trying to put it out there without him giving them permission, he basically uh, put it forth. And I think it's a great uh, insight as to the type of king that he was. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. But this book that's written to his son, this book was written, I think, in 1599. So he writes three books in three years. And then the last book is this Basilica Dorney. He kind of puts the divine right of kings into uh, the subject matter here. But um, some of the things that it covers, uh, I want to give you a couple quotes out of it. James adopted a severe stance towards sodomy using English law. His book on kingship, Basilica Doran means uh, royal gift in the Greek. It, it lists sodomy as those horrible crimes which you're bound in conscience never to forgive. He also singled out sodomy in a letter to Lord Burley giving directives that judges were to interpret the law broad, broadly and were not to issue any pardon saying no more color may be left to judges to work upon the wits in that point. So basically saying you're, you're not supposed to just like let these people off the hook you're supposed to, uh, you know, sounds like he was saying put them to death, right? Because that's what the English law was. So um, also, let's see. The other things that he put forth in the Basilica Dorn to his son, advising him to be a great king, were um, he, was advi he advised his son against being a tyrant. So he didn't believe in, you know, you, you can be a, a benevolent ruler without being a tyrant. And so uh, a ruler is supposed to do good and be benevolent towards his subjects. And so obviously there's a, there's a line that you're not supposed to cross. And a lot of kings become tyrants. They get this absolute power. And, you know, there's a saying that says, uh, you know, absolute power corrupts uh, or yeah, absolute power corrupts. Uh, how's that saying go? Anyway. Huh? And yeah, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's it. So, yeah, it, it's, it's power is, it can be a hard thing for people to handle, and some people just cannot handle getting the power that they get from being a king. You're in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. It says, And from uh, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so 
Just like King James passed upon a godly, uh, some godly advice to his son, that's how we should be passing things on to our children. And you know what he's made? The Bible says he has made us kings and priests unto God and his father. So every single person in this room, you know, is royalty. You know, you didn't, you, you didn't walk in and realize that you're royalty maybe. And sometimes we forget that the Bible says this, but we are going to be kings and priests ruling and reigning. And as a matter of fact, you know, we already are. If you're saved today, you're already considered that. We're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And, and really, as a matter of fact, we're going to rule after that also with him. So, but he's going to teach people how a right king is going to rule. You know, we've seen all these different ways that uh, Gentiles and all these different styles. And, you know, you got all these different ways that people have ruled. And you got communism. You got all these different forms of government. But Jesus is going to show us the right kind of government. And guess what he's going to be? He's going to be the king. He's not going to be the president. He's not going to be the prime minister. He's not going to be a member of parliament. He's not going to be any of those things. He's going to be a king. And so he's going to, as a king, he's going to rule absolutely, isn't he? And then people that are, you know, that are his judges and, and underling kings, so to speak, then they're going to rule and reign in his stead in different places around the world. That's God's form of government. And people just want to just dismiss this form of government and act like it's not legit, but it is. Turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. So in the book that King James wrote to his son, he, said he, he advised against being a tyrant, for honoring one's parents, for supporting the poor, for being well acquainted with one's subjects, for the careful selection of loyal gentlemen and servants for one's household against the wife of a king being allowed to meddle in politics. Sounds like an independent Baptist. For the active participation of the king in councils in order to be able to govern well. That the clothing of a king always be appropriate and his language plain and honest. Most significantly, you know, he, King James advises against the division of the kingdom. He's, he didn't think that the kingdom should be divided, you know. And there's a lot of things that we can learn from this, but obviously he learned these things from the scriptures. It's what the Bible teaches. So we had in King, you had in King James a ruler that was ruling to the best of his ability with the Bible in his hand. Luke chapter 22, verse 24 says, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. So it's Jesus' disciples here. And he said unto them, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that ex exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as one that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he's telling them, you know, look, the, the way that my kingdom is going to work is different than the way that the kings of this earth, the kings of the Gentiles are going to work. You know, Jesus Christ was a servant leader. He got down and washed people's feet. What king do you know? Do you think King Charles is going to wash your feet tonight? Do you think that he would ever do that? He would never do that because he, you know, people that are in positions of leadership like that, they feel entitled for, for having other people wash their feet or whatever. 
and who knows what other kind of weird things. But Jesus isn't like that, and he's not going to have us ruling like that. We're going to be, you know, just like we're supposed to serve each other, you know, that's how it's going to be in God's kingdom also. So we could take a page from a godly king of England and apply some of the wisdom of God in our current lives. And maybe we should start passing this type of, you know, knowledge to our sons and daughter for the future and teaching them manners and teaching them how to dress. And, you know, to, we need, maybe us husbands at home need to refrain from acting like tyrants at home and, and maybe a little more of a benevolent dictator because we are supposed to be the boss, all right? But we shouldn't take it too far. And a guy that's always having to jump him down and scream and say how much he's the leader and he's the boss and everything, you know, I, 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 if you have to say that all the time, then maybe you're not really the boss. So maybe we should start acting like a godly leader at home instead of just, you know, just saying, I'm the boss of this house. You know, the Bible says you're the weaker vessel. I mean, if you have to go around saying that, then you're not a very good leader. You should just be that. You don't have to say it, do you? Do you always have to say how great you are and how the, you're the man and all this other stuff? Stop being a tyrant. You, you know, nobody wants to follow a tyrant, okay? You might be the king of your castle, but don't rule as a tyrant. You know, be a benevolent dictator. That'd be a better thing to do. And, you know, here's some other things that we could pass on. How about honoring our parents? You know, we shouldn't just allow our children to dishonor us and get away with it. And we need to teach our children that they need to honor us because, you know, someday you're going to, kids, you're going to be parents too. And you might not, you, you know, it's a long ways off. And a lot of parents are like, yes, please let it be a long ways off. But it, go, it comes faster than you think. And the way you treat your parents' kids are the way your kids are going to treat you when you grow up. Because, you know, you reap what you sow. So just keep in mind, you know, and obviously all kids disobey from one time to another. It happens. But... You know, you should try your best to obey your parents, but you know what? We should be instilling that in our children, and we should be careful who we s select as our inner circle. King James thought it was an important thing to, to select who he thought was, you know, good character, quality people to surround himself with. How about you? Are you surrounding yourself with, you know, the, the gossips of the church? Are you surrounding yourself with people that, uh, you know, kind of are a little bit strange? You know, there are some people that were strange here, not too long ago, and sometimes we just don't see it, but you know what? You know, we need to discern what, what the Bible says. You know, how are they? Are they flatterers? Are they trying to flatter you? In? I mean, it seemed like those people that are gone now were big-time flatterers, always trying to offer for people to come stay at their house and, and just all kinds of stuff. Like, that's a giant red flag. If someone's just constantly lavishing you with things, and, and they kind of, it's like they want to get you in their pocket, so that if, you, if something is weird, they don't want to say anything because you've done so many benefits for them before. We've got to be careful about who we surround ourselves or, you know, allowing our wives to get involved in politics and church politics. So, obviously, you know, I mean, you can do what you want, but my wife doesn't vote. And you know what? I don't vote either. But, I mean, I just, I think it's pointless you know, I'd rather just pray and ask God to give us a godly leader, and then we got Joe Biden. But anyway, um, so, <laughs> but, you know, church politics, like, you know, we can get out of control with talking about how things are going or who is allowed to do what and all these types of things, and we just ought to be careful about 
how we talk about leadership when we're away from church, because your kids hear you talking about them. And if your kids hear you talking badly about leadership or a decision that you didn't agree with or something like that, then maybe they're not going to respect the leadership either. And you know what? We should have a respect for leadership. You know, y'all should have respect for the leaders that are put place in your life, whether it's the president, whether it's the king, whether it's your husband, whether it's your parents, whatever it is, you know, we, we need to make sure that we have the level of respect that we should for other people because we want our kids, don't we want our kids to follow a good godly leadership? And we want them to follow what we say, but then when you won't follow what the leadership says, then how does that make you look? It makes you look like a liar and a hypocrite is what it makes you look like. And they're like, well, if my parents aren't going to, you know, you know, be honorable to our uh, leadership and to our, you know, they're going to just talk bad about everybody all the time. Well, maybe why should we be any different? And that's just the way people are. That's what kids are smart. They pick up on everything that we say. They copy everything they hear. And, you know, just be aware of that because when you're talking about things at church, maybe you should just keep your opinions to yourself about certain things. I mean, unless it's something really bad or something, but as far as like talking about those things in front of your children, I just don't think it's right. So be careful who we get our counsel from. If your counsel, you know, number one, your counsel should be from the Lord. I found that doing marriage advice and things like that is pretty hard. Why don't you just read the Bible and do what the Bible says? I'm, I'm about to the point where I'm just like, you know what? I'm not there yet, okay? But I'm about to the point of, doing, of not doing marriage counseling anymore. It's just like, why don't you just read what the Bible says? Ephesians chapter 5. There you go. Love your wives. Honor your husbands. Respect your husbands. But, you know, we get to this point and it's like, Pastor, will you help me? Pastor, will you help me? Yeah, sure, I'll help you. Just do everything I say. If you're coming to me for counsel, then take the counsel. But then if you don't listen to anything I say, and then you're going to call me in the middle of the night and be like, oh, everything's just going bad. Everything's so bad. It's like, why didn't you listen to the counsel? Why am I wasting my time counseling someone that won't listen? It's just ridiculous, folks. So we need to be aware who we get counsel for. You're like, well, I'm not coming to you for counsel. Well, that's good. All right. <laughs> Mind you, sort yourself out. <laughs> that's a British saying there. But... Uh, <laughs> sort yourself out, mate. No. <laughs> but we need to be careful who we get our counsel from. You know, don't get your counsel from multiple divorced people in the church. Get your counsel from someone, and, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying to be offensive here. You know, sometimes people have been divorced and whatever. But get your advice from someone that's had a long, strong marriage. You know, if you want someone to emulate, emulate someone that has a strong marriage. Don't go to someone that's been divorced. You know, uh, you know, people that love that have failed in certain things in life would just love to give advice that they just shouldn't be giving. Even if the advice, the advice is right, it's still like, are they going to take it from you who's been divorced two or three times? Use plain language. That's good. We don't need to just go around trying to use words that people don't understand. You know, Paul said, I use great plainness of speech. Um, I think that when we're soul winning or when we're preaching, we should just use regular words instead of just trying to be all Calvinistic in our big words and things like that. Um, use plain language. And then we need to not advise to not have divisions. See, King James advises son, don't allow divisions to happen. Don't allow divisions to take place, you know, in the, in the, in the nation. But what about us? Well, it's not about allow division to take place in this kingdom here. 
The kingdom of God is in this room right now. This is the church uh, that's meeting in this area. These are the believers that, be that are meeting here. And we shouldn't allow the vision to come and, 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 and ruin this church. See, people are already going to naturally try to cause the vision. Enemies are going to come in and try to sow seeds of doubt and deceit. But you know what? We need to go against that. You know, when, when you see people starting to do what you've already seen happen, now you're kind of gotten through it a little bit. Now you've seen what can happen. Now you can see that someone will lie, bold-faced lie in front of all of you to make you think something's true that really isn't true. That, I mean, that, and that, that was played out before your eyes. So when you see some kind of faction starting to happen like that again, that's when you need to go to your leader. That's when you need to go to Brother Ian and tell him so that he can sort them out. All right. So turn to Psalm chapter 72, verse 1. Psalm chapter 72, verse 1. Psalm chapter 72, verse 1. The Bible says, a psalm for Solomon. David thought it was good to pass on knowledge to his son. He says, Give the king thy judgments, O God, and thy righteousness unto the king's son. And this, you know, I, I mean, I would think that this is the verse that maybe helped him to say, You know what, I'm going to give some knowledge to my son. I'm going to write him a letter and tell him how to be, a, you know, and how to pass the heritage of the Lord onto my children, how to, you know, and obviously this is a neat, unique situation. He's telling someone who's going to become a literal king how he's supposed to act, how he's supposed to rule. But you know what? We're going to be literal kings too. So isn't it, shouldn't it be a good thing for us to pass that knowledge onto our children also and to our next generation? And the last thing is the Bible here. I'm going to finish up. I'm just going to power through it and be done, Okay. All right, so number one, so how to, make King how to make England King James again? We need to get rid of the witches and the witchcraft like King James did. We need to get back to the doctrine of the divine right of kings, and we need to pass, number three, down a godly heritage to our children. Number four, we need to make the King James Bible the standard again. We need to make the King James Bible the standard again. Now, the King James Bible was commissioned by King James. It was authorized. It was called the Authorized Version and it remains the most widely published text in the English language. It was the work of 54 scholars. It was appointed by, by King James in 1604. When was the, when was the gunpowder plot? 1605. Had the gunpowder plot happened, that you know, the same type of plot that killed his father many years ago, uh, many years before in Scotland, they tried to do it again, but in a massive scale. But, you know, God made sure that those people were found out and they all got, you know, tortured and killed in a very horrible way. But, you know, they shouldn't have been trying to blow up the king, right? But had that happened, the King James Bible would have never came to pass. Think about the, the stakes that were involved in that. No King James Bible, that means millions of people not getting saved. And God worked it out to where the right king was there and he... Uh, you know, had the right people around him, and somebody, you know, was, was wise enough and kind enough to make sure that all those people didn't get killed. It was a Catholic plot. I mean, you know, people say, oh, it's a Catholic plot. You guys are like conspiracy theorists or whatever. But it's like, no, there, it literally was a Catholic plot. It was a Jesuit Catholic plot to murder the king and all the lords. Now, turn to Ecclesiastes 8.4. I'm going to be really quick here, I promise. 
I know we need to get done, but I want to finish this sermon, all right? It's not like I'm going to be here very much longer anyway. You're like, okay, I'm glad Pastor Thompson's gone. He just preaches too long. Well, I tried to give you all I got, all right? I had to take a nap between the services. I was so tired from the first sermon. <laughs> anyway, Ecclesiastes 8.4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, What doest thou? When the word of the king said, Hey, let's make this translation. I'm paying for it out of the, out of the treasuries of the kingdom. And I'm going to hire the best people and the smartest scholars and like they all, they were not all Anglican. I know that's an accusation. They were not all Puritan. They were all just different, you know, from different types of churches or whatever. But the point is that they were smart and they knew the language. So you have to know the language in order to be able to translate it, right? And they translated it from Greek and Hebrew. And uh, turn to Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. And where the word of the king, though, is there is power. And so would... Wouldn't you say that there's some power in the King James Bible? Obviously, King James didn't write the Bible either. William Shakespeare didn't write the Bible. You know who wrote the Bible? Holy men spake as they were moved of the Holy Ghost. That's who you know, wrote the Bible. Man wrote the Bible based upon the Holy Ghost and impressing that upon them. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. But the Bible is simply saying here that God's word is pure. And, you know, there were six translations before the King James came. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people will make fun of us saying that, but it is true. It's actually true. There were six translations, and then the seventh one was the final revision, and it was perfect, and it was right, and it was true. And you can count on the King James Bible to be a steadfast and true uh, translation for us to trust. And I, like I said this morning, I got saved out of the King James Bible. We go to people's doors and you've seen the power of the King James Bible as it cuts through the quick. It cuts through all the garbage that these people bring up. And if someone says, yeah, I want to hear how to, how to go to heaven, that nine times out of ten, once they say that, they're going to get saved, aren't they? Unless someone cuts it short or unless, you know, you just, you know, just have that random person that won't hear it. But the King James Bible has power. Where the word of the king is, there is power. It's, the king, it's called the King James Bible. But for a while it was just called the Authorized Bible until all these false Bible versions started getting made. Where they got these uh, Greek and Hebrew texts out of trash cans. And, and out of places that were just, you know, they spliced it all together like Frankenstein. None of it agreed with each other. And then, you know, they had these, you know, tards put together these really terrible, these really terrible renditions of the Bible. And so one of the things that I think are great about the King James Bible is it doesn't have a copyright. Now, it doesn't have a copyright, but it does have a crown copyright. But here's the thing. A crown copyright, you're still allowed to make copies without permission, all right? Most books, you can't just take a book that's, you know, you can't take novels off the shelf and then write down, retype the novels and then sell them on your own accord. You can't do that. But the King James is different. The pr a printed King James can be, sold, can be printed by anybody and sold by anybody, as long as, you know, it's, it's what is supposed to be there. So I think it's amazing that all, out of all the Bibles in the world, there are, 
The one that's the right and true one doesn't have a copyright and a restriction against printing it, putting it in my sermon notes, putting it on a, on a screen, putting it in book quotations. You know that people that write books for these, you know, crazy evangelists and, you know, all these, all these uh, wicked people like Joel Osteen and, and, and Joyce Myers, they write all these books and stuff, but you know they have to pay to put the scripture quotations in their Bibles? Why do they have to do that? Because it's not King James. You don't have to ask for permission to put those in a book that you write. And isn't it, there's such false prophets that they won't just take the free version and put it in there. They got to take, and they'd rather spend money and put their false Bible version in there so they can spin things however they want and say all the, spout all the garbage that they believe. But what I think is amazing about the King James Bible is that it doesn't have a copyright and, you know, there's 39 billion, million books in Congress. So you know what? They have copyrights. Congress is this thing in America. You know, anyway, I'll explain it to you later. But I'm trying to hurry here. So, but most Bible versions have copyrights. But the King James doesn't. And so that's a great thing about the King James Bible. You know, all the other Bible versions say different things too, don't they? Don't they say stuff like, you know, Goliath's brother was killed. Uh, or Goliath, or David's brother killed Goliath. You know, they'll say, you know, you know, they'll say this other guy killed Goliath and we all know who killed Goliath. It was David, right? But then they're like, well, that's not exactly what it's, it's like, come on, man. Come on, mate. You know that he didn't, <laughs> you know that David killed Goliath. Well, was another guy that was named Goliath. No, <laughs> that's not what it's talking about. So, but anyway, that's just a, a for instance, but you know, the Bible said, you know, other Bible versions will call Joseph Jesus' father. Was Joseph Jesus' father? No, he wasn't Jesus' father. And the King James is very careful to say that Joseph and his mother sought him. And uh, turn to Acts 8.37. This verse is taken out of most Bible versions. The NIV is very heavily Catholic. And... They want you to be baptized without having to believe, don't they? And all their, you know, Anglicans are the same way. There's a lot of different denominations that do infant baptism, but the Bible teaches that baptism is done by immersion, and it's after you believe. So actually, look at Acts 8.36. It says, and when they went on their way, they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? In other words, what's stopping me from being baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the char chariot to stand still, and they both went down to the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Every other version of the Bible is either going to put an asterisk next there, to there saying it doesn't belong, it wasn't in the originals, or it's just going to completely minus it out. So what Bible are you going to choose? The one that's authorized by a great king that's perfect, that has that verse in there because we're not supposed to get baptized until we actually believe, or are you going to take some stinking NIV that actually minuses it out of the text on top of all the other verses that they tamper with? You know, if, if the, the only version of the Bible that's not copyrighted is the King James, there, that's, that's, a, that's, a, 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 that's an amazing thing. Any new version has to be changed a certain amount in order to be called a new version. Did you know that? So if they make, you know, English has like over 400 versions 
of English Bibles, and they all have to say a whole bunch of stuff different, otherwise it can't be a new translation, or a new, uh, it can't be a copywritten new Bible version. And so they're tampering with God's Word, they're toying with God's Word, they're having these morons do the translation that weren't as smart as the King James translators, they're using a wrong Greek text, they're using a wrong Hebrew text, and, you know, they're, they're, they're making it confusing to people. Like, the Bible version issue is a big deal, and we need to understand that, and we need to make sure that we understand that the King James Bible is the only Bible that's going to be used in this church here, and that's going to be till infinity and beyond, or whatever. So, we're never going to get rid of the King James, no matter what kind of stupid version they come out with. So, hey, what time is it? Okay, I, this, it's a bad time to ask what time it is. My, my watch says 542. I asked some people to tell me what time it was. Where are those? Huh? 543. So someone with a, just a regular watch on. Anybody with a regular watch on? What's your watch say? Uh, 544. 544. So mine says 543. His says 544. What's your watch say? 542. That clock up there says 540, almost, almost three, like two. I can't, I don't know. Anybody else got a different watch on? 544. Mine says 543. You know, but they're all the same. They all, they all say the same thing, right? <laughs> you get my point. I mean, they're all reliable, aren't they? They're all saying the right thing. No, we all have, everybody had different times. What does that tell you? That not all watches are the same, right? Now, most of the time in the day that we live in, digitally, you're going to get the right time. And the right time comes from Greenwich time, by the way. Comes from England, doesn't it? It's absolute time that you get from Greenwich, England. So, you know, it's, it's not a big mystery or a big thing for me to believe that from Great Britain came the right time. Longitude and latitude also come from England. Any ship in the sea, any plane in the air, unless you are zeroed in from, from, uh, from Greenwich time or, or from the, from the uh, longitude and latitude that is at Greenwich, England, you're going to be on the wrong parallel. You have to use the zero parallel to get all of your longitude and latitude, right? Why is that a big deal? Well, because there's such things as absolute truth, all right? That's the point I'm trying to make. There's an absolute right time. There's an absolute Bible. There's an absolute location. And, it, you know, England seems to have the, the absolutes on a lot of things, right? There's some absolute tea, right? <laughs> They're not, not all teas are the same, are they, folks? What's the best tea? Anybody got a best tea? Everybody, I heard Yorkshire twice. What? Huh? Yorkshire. <laughs> yeah. My point is, though, is that King James, you know, authorized a Bible that is absolute truth. So all the other Bibles say different things. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Absolute time comes from England. Absolute location comes from England. And, you know, the absolute Bible that is not copywritten, by the way, comes from England, doesn't it? Raw, raw England, yeah? I think I have some forefathers from here. But my, you know, so my point is, is that, hey, why don't we make England King James again? Let's start using the King James Bible, and everybody in this room should be using the King James Bible. But hey, 
Let's not like feel like we're just like, oh, well, I don't want to talk bad about their Bible. Talk bad about their Bible. Their Bible's rubbish. It's garbage. It's trash. You know, Pastor Shelley does this book burning every year, and people just go, lose their mind over it. But let me tell you something. There's no salvation in those different Bible translations. You might be able to make a Frankenstein version where it kind of has the right verses or whatever. But you know what? You're going to get the best and most absolute trans translation of the Bible from an English King James Bible, the one that he commissioned. And so that's why I'm saying, you know, I've had four points, and I, I, I definitely have to be done. You guys are like, i got to go to work tomorrow. So how do we make King, uh, England King James again? Well, number one, we need to get rid of the witches and the witchcraft and all the sorcery and garbage that there is. You know what? When you go to someone's door, try to get that witch saved. All right, but if they won't be saved, then you know that's that's up that's their problem. But wouldn't it be great if we lived in a country that actually uh, up, upheld the laws and did that which was right and true and governed from the Bible? He seemed to do a good job. So you know what's what's the problem? Well, you got most people are unsaved, and so they're going to reject a saved king. They're going to talk trash about a saved king later on. They're going to try to make him out a queer, which he never was. And they're going to say all kinds of manner of evil. Don't they say all manner of things of evil about us and about our church? They do, don't they? And, you know, we need to get back to the divine right of kings doctrine where kings are the ones that are absolutely to rule. Because you know what? One day there is one king that's going to rule over this world. It's King Jesus. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. You know what? We're going to be kings and priests unto him. And so we need to start passing on our kingly and priestly knowledge to our children in the next generation. And number three, you know, uh, yeah, number, well, that was part two and three, sorry. But number four, <laughs> make King James the Bible standard again, and like King James did when he authorized it. You know what? It's still the best version today. And you know what? You should just take, a, take the time to look through, a, through this old King James version and, and look up John 3.16. It's still the same verse in here. You know what? The King James is over 400 years old. And you know what? It's still getting people saved. I can walk down the street with this Bible in my hand. I can still get people saved. I might not be able to read the Old English very well, but I'd figure it out eventually, okay? And the fact that son is spelled S-O-N-N-E doesn't, you know, the, the spelling isn't, isn't what's, what's, uh, what's the important thing. It's the words that are the most important thing. So let's make England King James again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for this great church. And I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this church, Lord, when I'm not able to be here. And uh, just pray that you would help Brother Ian and Miss Lisa to just uh, take care of this church here, Lord. And, and I pray that, Lord, the people would just realize what they have here. Something that a lot of people don't have is a great church to go to. I just pray that you'd help us to make this church even better as the year the next year approaches, and I just pray that you'd help us to win as many souls as we can, and that, Lord, we would just uh, storm England with the doctrine of the, the King James Bible and all the teachings in the Bible, and, Lord, that salvation would come to this great land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.